Hi, this is Monica Olivas. I love running, eating, and sharing the best tips and strategies to help you run your best life. It's time to get inspired, do the work, and be brave so you can chase down your goals. Welcome to the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast. Virtual races are the best way to keep running and racing this year. And there are tons of options, different distances and dates you can run from anywhere in the world. So I'm giving you the seven steps to get ready for a virtual race, how to stay motivated and really crush it. But before that, can we talk about the American tragedy I just learned about and probably got a little too into? Let's start with that in the warm up. Okay, I guess I should start off by admitting that I have a problem. My name is Monica, and I have become obsessed with the Waco tragedy, Waco siege, whatever you want to call it. And I want to talk it out. I want to share the other things that I've looked into after watching. The first thing was the series, mini series on Netflix. Waco. That's the title of it. That's what was my gateway drug into more information following that. If you're super not familiar and want to watch the show and listen or read the books that I'm going to talk about and don't want spoilers, I would say also you can jump to the main event about the seven steps to get ready for a virtual race, I'll put the timestamp in the notes. So you can just jump over there and we don't have to talk about Waco or you can come back after if you watch the series like me and become obsessed because I was shocked and I can't believe I knew that the the place Waco, this word Waco was associated with a cult for some reason. I feel like I knew that. But I didn't know any of the specifics, any of the details. And watching the miniseries, I was shocked and offended and immediately wanted more information. And so what I did after that, I did the same thing with Unorthodox recently on Netflix. That was also, as I was watching it, I got super into it. And I noticed in the credits, in the beginning or whenever it says, based on a book, this show in the credits, it actually said it was based on two books. One, Stalling for Time by Gary Nosner. He's an FBI agent. Two, the other book is Waco by David Thibodeau. And I listened to both of those on Audible. I think that the Waco by David Thibodeau, I remember now that it said There might have been a different title in the past. So if you're going to read it on paperback or something, I think just look for his name and I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put links to all of this in the show notes on runningrepeat.com. But so far, I watched the six-part miniseries and then I listened to both of those books, full actual disclosure on this, the Stalling for Time by Gary Nosner, that's not exclusively about Waco at all. That is his life as an FBI hostage negotiator. So 
I listened to that book up to the point where he talks about Waco. Once he's done with that, I stopped listening to that book to listen to the other Waco book because I wanted to stay on the same thread. I plan on finishing that book because I feel like that's very interesting. I listened to a kind of similar book in the past from a hostage negotiator. And it's really interesting, but I just wanted to stay on the topic of Waco. I mean, really, especially when it comes to these two books, these are opposite points of view. And that is so interesting and important. And especially after watching the series about something that is a true story, but seems so violent and unnecessary and just, again, really shocking. There are a lot of children involved. I wanted more than one side of the story, and I wanted to make sure that it was factual information and also firsthand accounts. So I listened to both of those stories. And it's important to remember that we all want to believe that we are doing the right thing, that we're doing our best. So their points of view are very different on kind of the details of what happened. So beyond that, after that, I listened to the Time Suck podcast about Waco and a more recent, because I think that was a lot older. He just covers interesting topics and sometimes people make requests. So that was an old episode. He did not reference any of the the books or the series. But Crime Writers On is a podcast that does reviews of... They originally started talking about serial. I know that I've mentioned them in the past because people have said that they have listened to episodes from them that I've referenced. They did a recent episode referencing, reviewing Waco. And I didn't know because I think that they just have more information in one of them. I don't know if he's like studied it in the past or maybe because he's older, like he was more familiar with Waco. And there are some of the things that they say that none of the previous references get into, and it's super relevant. So like I said, I'm just going to say some spoilers. You've been warned. The miniseries and both of the books really just talk about what happened in Waco from the time of, well, David Thibodeau's book, he was probably about 22 when he met David Koresh, who is the cult leader, and was invited to come check out Waco. And eventually he was invited to live there. But that was two years before the siege. So his timeline starts two years before. But the miniseries and the FBI negotiator are just really talking about when there was the first altercation where the alcohol, firearms, tobacco, AFT, they reference AFT constantly, I feel like, in both of the books. And in the docuseries, it's kind of funny because it's not like a term I'm familiar with as much as FBI. But all of that information is based on the violence, like the step one of the violence where they came to kind of potentially serve a warrant for David Koresh. 
and it results in a gun battle. That is how the miniseries starts. That was shocking to me. I thought, hello, spoiler alert. I, I felt like they were starting with the end, but that is just step one of what turns into a 51-day siege. Over that time, I think originally there were around 130 people that were members of, I don't know, it can be controversial how you reference this group of people as a cult versus as a church, as a community, whatever it is. Because I also read about this a bit too, because of the fact that all of these stories really start from the altercation. And like I said, crime writers and the other podcasts, the Time Suck podcast, start like reference things before that, that put it in more context. Because I think just starting with the interaction of police coming to get the cult leader seems like, okay, whoa, whoa, wait. Leading up to that, David Koresh, which once again, that was not his real name. He changed his name. He said that God was talking to him and he kind of took over this church from someone else that had passed away and fought with the original church leader's son in this, like, there was just like a lot of weird, very shady things going on. And it doesn't seem like from step one of him taking over this church, David Koresh is a good guy. And it just kind of goes down from there. He does marry, I think at the time, his wife, when he married her, was 14 years old, ends up saying that God has told him to also have a baby with her younger sister, who I think was like... I don't know if it was her, but it seems like the youngest person he had a baby with was 12. So he potentially was having sex with an 11 or 12 year old. I mean, okay, no, unacceptable. And my big problem with David Thibodeau's book, because obviously he was in the cult, he survived the ending, which was a very violent end. There are, this is very important too. I keep hesitating to give spoilers and then just giving them poor form, poor form, poor form. Okay. So we've already agreed that if we're all hanging out here, we know what happened. At the end, basically everyone, but a handful of people die. There were, I think, close to 95 people that died, including 35 children, I believe. I think it was 51 days into it where it seems like the government is just had it, had it with the situation. They have tried to negotiate. It doesn't seem like there's this genuine effort that they're going to come out. They have stalled for a lot of time to reference the book, one of the book titles. I mean, 51 days, like they didn't go in there in the first however many days. And finally, they are done when they have agreed to give him time to finish. He's writing what he believes is the explanation of the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the seven seals, like what he is saying that God is telling him it all means. And he needs more time. But then it just it seems like it's not completely genuine. So they decide they're going to 
I want, I hesitate on how to say it because it's not completely known. The reason for when everything basically lights on fire and this place burns down, the government does shoot the place up with tear gas, which has been known to start fires. A fire starts. There is some curiosity. It's not completely known if the fire started because the tear gas is flammable. And they don't ever use the word flammable because I, like I said, I I read about this and they don't specifically say flammable, but it has been known in closed conditions to start fires. In the series, 100%, it looks like the government went in with tanks, shot the place up with the gas, and it ended up starting a fire. Everyone got trapped and died, except for the handful of people that somehow managed to jump out. David Koresh was found with a bullet in his head, and one of his close like right-hand men were was also had a bullet in him. So they think potentially that he had the guy kill him and then kill himself or he might've killed himself, one of those two. But he died from a gunshot wound. Basically everyone else died from the fire. There were a couple of other deaths that were from like people potentially killing themselves or killing a child to prevent like a slow, worse death. But the series makes it seem like this is not up for debate. They went in, filled the place, it lit on fire. All of these people died because of the fire, except for obviously these people that potentially shot themselves. And it is 100% the government's fault. Supposedly, there was a third-party exploration of this later, and they found that some of the people that managed to survive had, or got out, had lighter fluid or kerosene, something flammable on their clothes, it is suspected that they started the fire. I mean, it's how are we supposed to know, right? So I just feel like on some level, everyone was wrong. There is not a right or wrong to even decipher. It is obviously very wrong to fill up a building with something that might start a fire and not have immediate resources to stop that fire. This is something that has started fires in the past and you are using this as a tool. Shouldn't you have a way to extinguish the fire immediately? That's weird to me. But it does seem curious if it was genuinely, and I have no idea how neutral this, it was supposed to be like third party looking into everything that they could find. It seemed like they started the fire themselves. David Thibodeau's book, who was in there, keeps saying that he, my problem with his book is that he keeps saying this messaging. And one of the hosts of crime writers pointed this out. Like if you just keep saying, we didn't do anything wrong, we didn't do anything wrong. Eventually people are going to start believing you. 
it seems like that's what he was saying. Like he kept just saying like, you know, I need to speak my truth. The government shouldn't have done this. We weren't doing anything wrong. We were killed for practicing our religion. No, that's not the case. You had illegal firearms and your church was being led by a pedophile. And everyone that was aware of it was actively supporting and hiding this. Unacceptable. Like, no, this wasn't about religion at the point of them coming in. This was about, I mean, it should have been first, like about kids and then guns. It seemed like it was more about guns and then kids because the AFT their jurisdiction is only alcohol, firearms, and tobacco. Like they don't have technically a right to do anything about child abuse. (laughs) I think we all, like you don't need a right to do something about child abuse. Like if you are aware of it and you're just ignoring it, no. That's just kind of a bureaucracy, like excuse, like they didn't have a right to go in based on that. Well, I mean- Technically, it should have been handled differently. But you can't keep saying, why are they trying to persecute us for practicing our religion when they were just going after David Koresh? He could have walked out at any time. And ultimately, my real problem with him is he had his wife and his children in that building that died and he was found with a bullet in his head instead of laying over them, protecting them, F off, F off, F off. Like I am no, 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 unacceptable. If you are willing to die, like you have no problem dying. Okay. You know, live your life or I guess die your death. But (laughs) If there's none of this should be funny. It's all very offensive. But like I, the number one person that is responsible for this is the person that the government came for. And if you are likening yourself to the Messiah, this is what you're calling yourself, is the sinning Messiah is what he liked to call himself. You are trying to associate yourself with Jesus Christ, who when The officials came looking for him to persecute him. He did not hide behind his apostles. He did not say, hey, we're all going to stay in this building. We're all going to go down together. He was like, okay, like just do not associate yourself with someone like you're a martyr. When it really went down at the end, you weren't even making an effort to protect your wife and children, wives and children. I don't know how many people he technically thinks he was married to, but he was trying to knock up everyone. And he also told all the other people in there that they couldn't have sex. And husbands and wives agreed to stop having sex with each other. The wives would just have sex with him. And all the men were supposed to be celibate. I'm just saying there were a lot of super unethical, unacceptable behaviors And then when it really went down, I'm not going to see this person as a victim when he doesn't seem like just like a decent man, let alone 
the next Messiah. Like you're not even like a good man, but you want everyone to think that you're God. No, unacceptable. So if you are into this topic and would like to get obsessed, I recommend Waco, the miniseries. Then I recommend take a walk, get some fresh air, never think about any of this again. If you want to pursue some more information, the books were okay. I would actually recommend before that, if you wanted more of a backstory on Waco, the Time Suck podcast, because he kind of goes back more into how David Koresh got started with that church. And I liked the recap that the Crime Writers On did. I will put links to all of this in the show notes on runnyrepeat.com. So you can check it out there. A thousand percent message me on Instagram if you have any thought. If you have also looked into any of this, have any thoughts. I didn't mean to be offensive at all. I think it would be easier to have a conversation about it. I needed to get this off my chest so I feel like I could breathe, move on with my life. Once I could breathe clearly, I can run faster. And that's the real goal, right? Sometimes at least. So let's talk about running now and get to the main event. This episode is actually part one of a two-part series about virtual races, and it was inspired in part by a couple of questions that I have gotten recently about motivation, virtual races, and training right now. So this is part one. The next episode will be the second part. Today, we are talking about seven steps to get ready for a virtual race. So ideally, this will help you prepare get motivated, stay motivated for a virtual race. Next episode, we will talk about running your best virtual race. And the question that I got, there have been a lot of questions about motivation right now, which I completely understand. And these questions specifically are actually from at running repeat on Instagram. If you don't follow me, definitely follow me. I feel like we're super friends when you do. I put in the Insta stories, a question box a few times a week where you can write in any question. And most of the time, it's about running or fuel, nutrition, things like that. Sometimes it is super random. Sometimes it's wildly inappropriate. Sometimes it is funny as heck. Like, are your parents happy to have you close or do they want you out ASAP? which I appreciate because maybe my mom wrote that. Not really. But the questions that did inspire this episode and the next one are, how do I get my motivation back? I think I've lost it for good. And suggestions for staying motivated during virtual races. Now, if you are struggling to find your motivation and you're kind of hanging out, hoping that you'll feel motivated. If you are waiting to run, to start training for a race, to start looking for a race, when you feel motivated, that might not happen as quickly as you want it to. And so sometimes you have to act your way into feeling something. And by that, I mean, and this might be, this is kind of some therapy talk, but hang out with me for a second, go with this because it can help you on different aspects of your life. But sometimes you don't feel 
like doing something. But if you start doing the actions that you would be doing, if you felt a certain way, like if you were super motivated, right? And you felt like training for a race, you would start researching one. You would make sure that you had the seasonally appropriate running gear, check if you need a new shoes. You would charge your running watch or your phone if you're using an app. Like you would have everything ready to go. You would look into a race and start looking into training plans. You would start doing these things, these activities, because you're motivated. You want to run a race. If you're not motivated right now, I suggest you still start doing those things. And as you do, that's going to build momentum and make you feel motivated. So you can, for certain things, act your way into feeling that thing that you are trying to get, you know? And this is kind of similar to if you think of the simple concept of fake it till you make it, right? So with that, people are saying fake confidence, fake that you believe in yourself and you are great at this and you can do this. And that will lead you into actually performing that way. So that is kind of similar along this, but this is a hard time. And in a normal situation, I might suggest that you look for a running group, a running buddy, a race. And those options might not be on the table depending on where you are right now. So virtual races are where it's at this year. It is the jam. And the awesome thing about it, there are a lot of awesome aspects to virtual races. There's more flexibility. There are a ton more options. It's a lot cheaper. You could connect with people. It kind of opens you up, right, to finding different people in different parts of the world, doing these different types of races. And it gives you the flexibility to run where you are, run in a safe place, maintain social distancing or whatever rules that you have to be mindful of and still be able to run a race. But if I was a cowboy, I'd be the straightest shooter in the West. And I do live in California. So I am in the West. And I'm not going to pretend to you that a virtual race is the same as a big city. All of the just, I mean, uh, the buzz and the people and the other runners of a normal in-person race. However, you can get motivated and stay motivated to really just crush it and do an awesome job and get the most out of it possible. And that's what we're talking about right now. Seven steps to really get ready for a virtual race. Number one, Treat it like a race. Keep your mindset, just anytime you talk about it or think about it, reference it as a real race. Don't discount it as, oh, but it's a virtual race or keep saying the word virtual race. After you are done listening to this podcast, just start referencing it as a race, not a virtual race. I am saying this, I feel excessively in part just because that is a lot of the terminology we're using right now. Those are the questions I'm getting. So I want to make sure that anyone that wants help or support for virtual races can find this, but treat it like a real race. 
talk about it like it's a real race and just get into the mindset that everything that you do to prepare for this would be just like it was any other race that you've done before. Number two, register and make it official. If you have been thinking about registering for a certain virtual race, do it now. Within the next 24 hours, choose and register for the race that you are going to do next. And do the normal things that when you register for a race, if you start following that race on social, start following the hashtag, if you post it on your social media so that people know, if you message your friends, your running buddies, and try to get them to do it with you, all of the things that you do going back to number one, treating it like a race, period, do those now. And especially if you have been having a hard time with motivation, choose a race, register, officially sign up for it within the next 24 hours, put it on your calendar. If it's a paper calendar, if it's your electronic calendar, however you normally keep yourself accountable and record special dates that you really need to remember, do that. Number three, set a goal. Make it a challenging goal. Make it a goal that is all of the smart goal aspects. Make sure that it is something that you want to do so that you don't have an excuse to tap out. But set a goal. Again, referencing number one, if you sometimes your goal for races is just to have fun, to not do any walk breaks, to beat last year's time, to beat your mortal enemy's time, whatever it is, you need to set a goal so that you have something that you are remembering that you are working towards. And it doesn't have to be a PR necessarily, but it should be something that you can hold yourself accountable to. So if it is, I'm going to run this 10K with no walk breaks, or I want to finish this with a smile on my face, not crawling, dragging my dead carcass across the finish line. Because that, even when you don't have a time goal, I think sometimes we forget that it's still a ton of work. You still need to train for this long distance. It requires work. And if you want to cross the finish line with a smile on your face, then you need to train so that your body is able to do that. So whatever it is, whatever your goal is at this point, set a goal that you can write down in one sentence or a couple of sentences at the very most, but make sure that it is specific and that it is something that you can keep referencing back to, to keep yourself in check and keep yourself accountable. Number four, get a plan. Find a legitimate training plan that will help get you prepared and get you ready for that goal that you set in number three. If it's a plan that you've used in the past, like I used to have a baseline half marathon training plan when I first started running halves that For the most part, I would reference back and I would tweak it a little sometimes if I had other races coming up, if I needed to switch around things. That was, for the most part, the plan that I would use, recycle, run, eat, repeat, that training plan. If that's what you normally do, that's fine. Whatever it is, you need a legitimate training plan. This is what is going to help keep you 
motivated, keep you literally moving forward is when you have a set plan of what you're going to run, what conditioning strength you're going to do, all of those things that you need to be able to make sure you're doing. You need a plan to be able to know if you are sticking to it. Number five is do the work and take it seriously. And this kind of all, we keep referencing back this number one, treating it like a real race. If you are treating this like anything less than that, the only person that you are cheating is yourself. The reality is that at most traditional races, anyways, it wasn't like everyone was there just to see how fast you ran. The person that cared the most about how you did at that race was you. And you are still the only person running your race, training for this race. When you are doing this virtual race, this is about you. The crazy thing is, it's always only been about you. We run races to see who the hell we are, what the hell we got on that day. How hard are we going to push? How confident are we? How ready are we? Did we phone it in during training? All of this. If you are not doing the work leading up to the virtual race, then that's on you. And I think that, and I've really always thought this, but it seems so much more obvious now when we're talking about these kind of virtual races, because you're just running this race alone. And I think that we get this huge party and day and excitement on race day, whether you are running a 5k or 26.2 miles, the reality is that there is so much more time and often effort that went into months leading up to this day that we don't remember. We just think about what we showed up with on race day, but every choice that you made, every run that you really did, you gave it your all effort. Every time that you made sure that you stretched, that you fueled well, that you got enough rest, all of that is what contributes to how you're going to perform right? And it's like this thing of showing up just on the day's accounts or when there's a big crowd, it's not about that. It is about the dark mornings, the solo runs, the bad weather, you know, not the glamorous day. Race day is fun. And I don't know if I would call running a marathon glamorous, but there is definitely more of a like it's a glittery day and all the days that are, you know, the hard to get out of bed days, the days when you have to turn down other things, make sure that you go to bed early so that you can wake up early. And it's not glamorous. Everything that it takes to really be an awesome endurance sports athlete. It's not, it's not sexy. A lot of it isn't. And if you want to have a great race, whether it is a big city, New York marathon, or a virtual race, you have to do the work. Number six, connect with people who are also doing that race or other races, ideally around the same timeline. I think that this is always a good idea. I love the concept of having this 
virtual running community where we can talk about the races that we're training for. And maybe we're not going to be doing the exact same race, but our race days on the same weekend or, you know, within a week or two of it, of each other. And maybe it's not in the same place. I know that I've run a race. I think I did the Long Beach Marathon the same day my friend did the Chicago Marathon. So all through training, and we live on other sides of the country from each other, but it was really great after our long runs to be able to be like, man, I got my ass handed to me today on a long run or to have a really good long run. It just, it was really great. It was like a virtual running training partner because we were training for the same distance on the same. It was, I actually don't think it was the same day. I think like her race was on Saturday and mine was on Sunday. I might be wrong about that, but having that lineup, I think was very helpful for making sure that we were kind of holding each other accountable and there was no formal agreement. We just realized that's what we were doing, right? You just realized like, oh my gosh, I'm also training for that distance and you're already at an 18 mile long run. Like I need to get it together if you're not there. So the way that you can do this with virtual races is if there is a hashtag for the race, make sure that you are following it or their social handle and be active in it. Don't just watch, definitely participate. Make sure that you're following along with it, their Facebook page. Also at Runny Repeat on Instagram, tag at Runny Repeat. And when you are posting your workouts, your daily runs, check-ins, whatever, make sure that you're chiming in with what distance or what day that you have a race coming up because, and I've seen it so many times where people are like, oh my gosh, I'm also doing that race or I'm doing this race on this day. And today, the day that this comes out, I will put a call out for everyone to chime in. If you are training for a race, whether it is a traditional race, a virtual race, chime in on at Runny Repeat Instagram today with what you're training for, or if you are just kind of what your training goals are right now so that you can find other runners to connect with, potentially even if you haven't done the register for a race yet, maybe you'll be able to find one that way. And finally, number seven, be accountable. Hold yourself accountable by checking in daily with a running buddy, a group, on social media. Like I said, this goes back to the next one, but you just need to have a specific plan that holds you accountable. This is a little different from connecting with other people that are doing that because that's that a community aspect and it's fun and it's friendship and it's a lot of positive things that I really think are super, super important. But be honest with yourself and be self-aware on what legit keeps you accountable. And if it is social pressure, if it is your sibling, if it is a running buddy, if it is a running coach, whatever is going to keep you accountable, think about it right now to yourself. What actually pressure on keeps you accountable so that you're not gonna make excuses for slacking off And then that is something that you should be doing on a daily, if not weekly basis, depending on, again, be self-aware enough to realize how much accountability do you need? If you need to check in 
every single run day with someone to actually know that you're going to do it. If you know that you're not going to be called out, then find someone, some way to have that daily accountability. And like I said, I am posting every day. I post my run, rest, random report every day on Instagram at run, eat, repeat. So you can always chime in in the comments there if you don't want to post it to your own feed or post it to your feed daily. Post it to Facebook. I don't know, write it on chalk outside your house. Not your neighbor's house. That would be weird. But actually, maybe it could also make you friends. I don't know. I don't know your neighbors. But those are the seven steps to get ready for a virtual race. Next time, we are going to talk about how to run your best virtual race. And if you are running right this second and didn't take notes and don't have a photographic memory, would someone have a photographic memory from listening to something? Or is that just from seeing something, seeing a photo? Anyways, all of this will be on runnyrepeat.com so you can check it out there. Now, what are the top three takeaways from today? One, don't join a cult unless maybe it's a running cult. Even then, I don't know. I'd have to really think about it. Two, if you want to run a virtual race, if you need some motivation, treat it like a traditional race and do the work. Number three, if you're registered for a race and are training right now, chime in on today's Instagram post at running repeat with which race, the hashtag, what you're doing, what distance, when it is, so that you can connect with other people, potentially make some friends, motivate someone else. This isn't always just about you. I think that sometimes we forget that we really can inspire by leading by example, and this is an opportunity for that. So I definitely encourage you to chime in today and share with the class. You can get the show notes and more information on runningrepeat.com. If you have any questions or topic requests and you don't see the Instagram story box, you can always DM me on Instagram at repeat. Thank you for listening. Have a great run. <laughs>